Hey everyone, Lee Moskowitz, your friendly neighborhood growth marketer and host here with another fabulous episode of Lee2B, the sassiest podcast for B2B. Coming to the mic today is Lindsay McGuire. From Alabama's biggest credit union to a SaaS whirlwind, Lindsay's resume reads like a marketing venture novel. As Goldcast's content and campaign guru, she's turning events into revenue gold. Off-duty, she's a community superhero, volunteering and working with great organizations like the Humane Society. Welcome to another episode of Lee to Be. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Lee. Man, that might be the best intro anyone's ever done for me. So, mwah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I, I, I try with that. I, that's the only thing I try with. So, yes, welcome. Thank you so much for being on. Can't wait to dive into content marketing, events, SaaS, all that fun stuff. But my very first question for you is going to be, what was it like growing up, uh, Lindsay McGuire? Were there, were there a ton of Lindsay McGuire jokes? What was the least, what was the most annoying one? Just, what was that like? I'm sorry for you. Or I'm not. But. Luckily, it's only been six years. So okay. um, it's my married name. So I've only had it for about six years now. But it definitely has haunted me at every turn of my life. Probably like the funniest, I guess, reference was... I went to Mexico for an all team. Um, I guess this was 2020 before the pandemic hit, like great timing for our all team, I guess. And um, we're getting to the resort and the man who's taking our baggage out of the vehicle is like asking for names and stuff. He's like, oh, what's your name? Like, oh, it's Lindsay McGuire. He's like, oh, like Lindsay McGuire. And I was like, how has this followed me to Mexico? Like, <laughs> Come on now. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I use it now. It's a self-deprecating joke that I use all the time because like someone's going to say it. I might as well say it first. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm also thinking like you, you get a caricature like drawing like Lizzie McGuire, how they had that in the show. You, you get one like you, and you just like lean into it, personal branding. If you ever do something like that, you know, it's funny. I think I've actually like thrown that as an idea before. Of like, can I just get that little cartoon version of me, but like me and not her, and maybe not in a crop top? I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on the aesthetic. But do you wear pink? Oh yeah, of course I wear a pink. Oh, then you're fine. Then you're mean fine. girls. It's, it'll come be on. right. It'll it'll be pink, and you don't need a crop top as long as it's pink. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so thanks so much for being here. Um, I'd love to start. Just tell our listeners a little about. Just tell our listeners a little bit about Goldcast. Yeah, so we are a B2B events platform, so digital events platform, although we service really like any event you would have. Um, So that includes digital, hybrid, and in-person. We have tools to kind of cover the gamut of all of them. We actually launched right around the pandemic time, so really great timing for a digital events tool. And now we've really evolved to not only be an events tool, but also be kind of like a video first tool. Uh, We have a new AI tool called Content Lab. It allows you to take your live event recordings and easily snip the videos, pull out content, create copy. Um, So it's really been interesting to come on. I came on in June, so still fairly new, what, like six months. And it's been so cool to come on and see all the products we've like set to market in the last just six months and how much we've grown over time. Um, And to finally be marketing to marketers. It's like the promised golden land. So. Oh my God, yes. Whenever I'm interviewing and like people do the whole like, oh, like, why are you wanting to work here? Like if, if their product is marketed to marketers, I'm like literally every marketer, and I'm going to just make that blanket generalization on Lita B, but literally every marketer wants to market to marketers because we have that mindset. We get what they want. <laughs> so like, that's the dream. That has to be awesome. Oh, yeah. And the fun and freedom, right? Like I have so much more creative ability now. I mean, I used to be in the workflow automation space. So not Mm -hmm. as sexy, not as fun. So it's nice to be like talking to my people. Yeah, I mean, so I've had I had an episode with Gianno Fiore from from Nooks and talked a lot about cold calling. And one of the things we were talking about is, you know, we're marketers. We, we don't pick up the phone or, or, or we hate picking up the phone. It's very different from some other targets like sales, stuff like that. So how how do you market to marketers? What's your I mean, that's a really general question, but how do you how do you approach that marketing versus other markets? 
I mean, I definitely do not call them. You are 100% <laughs> accurate there. Um, I think obviously, I mean, this is a cliche answer, but I think we're seeing the rise finally of like video. We've talked about it for a long time of like, oh, video is the next frontier in marketing and that's where we're going. We haven't really seen it executed or at least not executed well until mm -hmm. this past year. So for us and for me and for Goldcast, really what we're thinking about is you know, obviously the conversation now is authentic marketing and being real and being true to your brand and your personality and your product and all those things. But being able to do that through video is so powerful and it's an easy connection point. You see it's a real person and a real human, especially like we're all terrified the robots are going to come and like take our jobs and, you know, we're going to be run by AI and yada, yada, yada. So to have that like humanity and that human connection and be able to have that in an instant is just so powerful. And I think also what has been nice is I think in the past, when you think video, you think highly produced, highly edited, like you can't, you know, fuck up at all. Like, you know, you have to have like so prim and polished and beautiful. And now we've let that go with the rise of like social media and TikTok and all that stuff. And so it's nice to be able to relate to your audience in a way where you don't have to do 25 takes in a row. You could do like three and be fine yeah. with that. Yeah, I will throw in there is a distinction of like, hey, like you're doing a social post, you're talking about a, a concept. Yeah, that one shouldn't be super, super polished. You know, people like to see the face. But if you're doing any type of corporate video, if your lighting looks shitty and you're shooting it on a potato, like that's a different story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, but yeah. also don't lead into stock videography for God's sake. Can we just finally let 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 it go? Let it go. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, uh, that's another thing too. Like, um, stocks, stock photos, stock videos. I can't stand going to a website and just like seeing the most stock photo pictures ever seeing the the first picture of millennials that comes up when you go to unsplash which is on like every website and ad um, i can't stand seeing stock stuff like that so yes i think leaning into the video portion that naturally comes from events is is just a way to the future of b2b really and I can't lie. I mean, I definitely have had that horrific moment as a marketer of being on a piece of my content and then being on someone else's content, being like, "That's my picture right there." Like, I'm it happens. Like, <laughs> it happens, and there's nothing wrong with it because, like, you don't need to get a beautiful headshot and unique picture for every ad, every asset. But like, your website, it should not be the the again. Like, I shouldn't see pictures I recognize, which yeah. is hard to do sometimes. 100%. There's that one guy that is on like every everything. Yeah. We all know them. We all know them. <laughs> Just don't use so, them. So let's go into your role a, a little bit about director of content and campaigns. And my my thing to start with is with content, there's the whole notion of is this working? Where's the ROI? How do we how do we do that? Um so what is your take on just the, the ROI component of content marketing and approaching that? Oh my God, the bane of every marketer's existence, like the <laughs> ROI discussion. How are you proving yes. this is working and why are we putting money in this? And ah, la, 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 la. Mm -hmm. I'm currently working with my team about like, you know, what is our Spotify wrapped version? Because, you know, you have to be cliche and do a Spotify wrapped at this time of year. You know, what's it going to be for demand gen marketers and event marketers? Because those are our two core audiences. And for demand gen, I was like, yeah, you're going to talk about like, oh, you've redone your marketing attribution for the 18th million time yeah. for this year. You know, um, you know, it's it's always difficult. It's never easy. We all know it. But I think the key is to know your baseline. Just two or three, like these are my metrics of success. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it crazy and wild. Be on the same page with your leadership team. And you might be in an org where you need to do some education around that. And to ensure that like, you know, A, you're measuring the right things and B, you're not skewing the system to make you sell. Like you, it's, I think, who was it talking on? I forget which guest it was on Donuts and Demand, our demand generation show we run. But um, one of them came on was talking about how like it's so easy to skew your numbers to make yourself look successful. Like, and I mean, it'll help you because you look great. But like, if it is it real though? 
<laughs> well, I think part of that too comes from the fact like, oh, we have to, we have to have these numbers. We have to do all this stuff. And then like, you, 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 first of all, your marketer shouldn't feel they have to see them. They should feel like, hey, like we have these numbers. They look good. They look bad. Why? Why not? <laughs> but so like content marketing in general, like there, there's tons of ways to approach that attribution. Uh, definitely don't do it on a blog post for blog post type thing. You'll, you'll drive yourself crazy and that doesn't make sense. But like I've often done it like it's not we're measuring a blog post, but we're measuring a pillar or a topic cluster. And is that similar how you've done it or do something do something else? A hundred percent. I would say top level, it's I, I'm very much from an SEO background. So I'm always coming into it from an organic SEO like background and mindset. So for me, when it comes to like the content piece of it, your overarching success metrics are going to be is my organic traffic growing? Is my branded organic traffic growing? Um, is my audience reach expanding? And that depends on your go-to-market function. But for us, it'd be like, are we growing the subscriber base for our newsletter? Are we growing our subscriber base for our shows like Donuts and Demand and Event Marketers Live? Um, that would be kind of like our overarching, and of course, social too. I oversee our social, which luckily we're still fairly small and young. So it's just LinkedIn. We're very basic, I guess. Um, but you know, know where your audience is and that's where our people right. are sitting. Um, but you know, that growth as well. And then past that, obviously for all the campaigns I run, I will have very distinct set goals for those. And obviously we're event led. We're like a B2B events platform. It'd be crazy if we weren't event led. So a lot of my metrics are going to be like event based as well. Yeah. So how do you combine, because you just said, you know, the, how event led you are, obviously, how do you combine that that content strategy to make sure it's lining up with all the other marketing components? Especially with the in-person event or online in-person event. Yeah. Luckily, I'm at an advantage where we're still fairly small. So I have a lot of visibility. You know, there's not a lot of like marketers in the corner hiding, doing their right. own things that I don't know about. Um, so that makes it a little easier. And also just having like the transparency and the channels open of communication. So I am always in communication with our director of product marketing and our director of events. And that allows me a lot of insight to make sure. And we collaborate to make make sure again, well, double usage of the word, bleh. Um, but to, to see that, oh, well, Belinda's doing these three um, B2B event dinners over Q4. What content should she be presenting or what discussion should she be having that can then support our content strategy on the back end? And it should always be a full circle, right? Like the random acts of content will kill you over time. Um, and the only way you become memorable as a brand is to have some of those pillar pieces, conversations um, that align across everything. So I think having like clarity with your teammates, being able to communicate authentically and being able to prepare and plan. And of course, things things happen last minute. We all know like, yeah, make switches and pivots and changes. But the more you can prepare and plan ahead of time and be sure everything's adding up appropriately and you don't have like a weird asterisk hanging here or like a negative number here, um, that helps a lot. Yeah. And I mean, to, what, to your point, it's like talking to the other team members. It's not our event marketer or content marketer. or it's, it's, it's your marketing team and and then your non-marketing team. So involving not it's not about having too many cooks in the kitchen because we don't want to do that, but it's about involving everybody. So you're not all on different wavelengths. Yeah. And as a content marketer, your number one BFF should be your CSMs. If you are not BFFs with your CSMs, get, get to making some relationships because they hold all the keys, all the gold, all the knowledge, all the great things, all the customers. Um, so that's also another key point of ensuring that all those conversations and pieces make sense because I'm the one who holds all the content, but they hold all those. I mean, not all of them. I mean, I have relationships with customers too, but for the most part, like right. obviously that's their job. So, yeah, I mean, so customer success literally are the people talking to the customers, doing things for the customers. I mean, they're they're like the busiest people at organizations all the time. So I'd love to go into that. How how do you work with CS specifically? <laughs> And what are just some of the ways you like you do to make it easier for them to help you? 
Yeah. Yeah. First and foremost, I have a monthly call with all of our CSMs. Um, I want to say we have like, I think maybe eight CSMs and then our head of CSM. So we're still, again, a relatively small team. So it's manageable and feasible. Um, But I do a monthly call with them. We sync up. We have a standardized agenda from month to month. You know, what are you hearing from customers? What are the gaps in our content and in the marketing campaigns we're putting out in the education we have? You know, what customers are positioned to talk to me and do a customer story or give me a testimonial? And um, if I'm running a campaign or getting ready to run a campaign, you know, what customers would be great to, to highlight in this content? Or, you know, who needs a little bit of love to like, you know, build our relationship better? So that's a huge part of it, of just having that monthly cadence call, an open floor. They can be very open and honest with me. Um, and that has been great for me to have insight, for them to have insight and have like a two-way relationship. It's not just them asking me or me asking yeah. them things. And then the other thing is like understand which like if you're a Slack user or whatever chat, like I don't even know what other chats are out there. But <laughs> anyways, we're Slack users. Um, but figuring out like what Slack channels are important for you to sit on as a content marketer to know what's happening on the customer side. So some examples of that, if you have like a CSM chat room or a, like an open water cooler CSM room, sit in that. If you have an NPS channel, sit in that. I mean, I can't tell you how much gold I've been able to, to develop out of that NPS channel. Um, mm-hmm. And then your product channels too. And like we have a customer feedback channel. And even though a lot of it is like, oh, I want this or the, you all don't have this or I would like this improved, like knowing that stuff is like so powerful. And the one thing my CSMs have told me too is like when they come in and they add customer feedback and then I back it up because we're marketing to marketers, that then just like elevates that request. So that is another great strategy for becoming real good friends or CSMs. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think everybody at the company should be in the that channel, not just the marketers. Oh, 100%. Not just to know what, what, what I believe in in praising your colleagues even if you don't work with them directly. So I just love those little chats. It could be as simple as, oh, this is awesome. But it's also like, they're, if, whether in your product engineering, like hearing the customers is, is literally so important. Also, like they, your customers are great subject matter experts. So when I've been writing blog posts and it's really technical and I want it to be technical because it's for SEO, um, yeah, you can submit a harrow or something and get an s and you know a chat gpt response answer or you can tap into your existing customers get them to give you a quote then they know you as the marketer they're happy there and then they they share you and stuff like that hopefully but yeah they're they're great in, in that front yeah snowball effect for sure um and what's nice too is if you have a community like oh my God, that's a game changer. Like this is the first org I've worked at that's had a living, breathing community. I think we have about a thousand event marketers and event professionals in our event marketers club Slack channel. And anytime I'm working on anything, I'm like, hey, you have an example of this. Hey, can I feature in this? And like, it, it just makes it so easy. And it's valid, like you said, valuable content and not just kind of like, oh, LinkedIn asked me to be an expert on this article. So here's my right. two sentence answer. <laughs> and then you need social proof. Like these days, I love social proof ads. I love social proof in general. Social proof is, 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 we talked, I talked about this with Tim Davidson on my episode in detail, but it's the screenshots for our listeners or, or whatever it is, screenshots of your customers praising you. It could be G2, a Slack message, whatever. That goes so far. Yes, case studies are great. Um, you need to have those, but the little, little social proof stuff like that, it's just like, wow, it's not just Lee talking about how awesome Lee's company is. It's Lee's customer talking about how awesome the product is. I will say on that note though, listeners, if you have any good strategies or products for storing those things, that has been one of the banes of my existence of how Mm. to best manage all of that. Like right now, I just have a Google spreadsheet that just has line items for the testimonials and whatever info is needed and links to the graphics. But I have been desperate to find like, what's a better way to just store all this and showcase this? And um, so let me know. Holla at you, girl. Let me know, too, because I've always done the Google Sheet thing as well. Like, sometimes I get, you know, fancy and we have the filters of, you know, like product response for this product or industry type, uh, stuff like that. So Google Sheet, if anyone has a better way, let, let us know. Yeah, please. So we talked about attribution a bit. 
But I'd love to to go and maybe even further because that that is everything for for marketers. Content and the customer journey is is all about multi touch points. So I I'm more curious. How do you communicate some of the, the metrics or results to some of the stakeholders in your organization who aren't the content marketers or might not be marketing themselves? Yeah. Um, as far as the SEO side, just a general SEO monthly report, quarterly report, year over year report. Those are great ways just to easily encompass like, hey, we're seeing growth here. We're seeing decline here. Uh, you know, this is what's ranking now. This is where we've proved, where we've slacked. So um, just compiling that together is super helpful. And, and we're lucky we work with an SEO agency. We work with Growth Plays. Um, they do a lot of that for us. So that takes that data side off of me because like, I mean, data is cool and stuff, but like I'm a creative marketer. Like it's really not my like passion point. I know I need it. I know I need to prove it out, all those things. Um, so that's super helpful. And it's like the same. And that's another thing with like data reporting. Figure out what yeah. you're going to do and stick with it. Like so many of us finagle so often and change it so often that we're comparing like unicorns to alligators. Like it makes literally no sense. <laughs> um, so once you figure out like what your, you know, North stars are, like just leave them, leave them alone. Like just let them, let them stew. Because a lot of times, you know, you might have these certain things you're looking at for two quarters and you're like, oh, but we're going to now look at this. And then you're like, but I have nothing to compare. And it just can be a mess. So I would say those SEO metrics of, you know, your general overall organic traffic, how is that changing week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter, those kind of things. Where are you ranking? Where are you growing? Where are your competitors growing or where are they declining? Knowing that so you can swoop in when necessary. Um, on the event side for me, as far as event reporting, it's always a registration number, an attendance rate number. Um, we have a CTA button we can use in Goldcast that allows people to show intent. Um, always having one of those accessible and having a goal number around that. Um, and then also understanding what follow-up sequences are, whether it's the emails going out to get people in the door or the emails post the event and how successful those are as far as like if we're pushing demos, like did we actually get demos from that? Or you know, if we're pushing a content download post-event, did that actually work? Um, those are all the things I'm kind of thinking about as I'm thinking about data and measurement and proving ROI. And um, we're also very lucky that we have our Salesforce set up very well. So I can go in post-event and I can see all my source revenue. I can see the number of ops that were sourced. I can see who's been accelerated, um, how much money has been accelerated through mm -hmm. that. So a lot of it luckily is a little bit easier than- Shout out to your mops and rev ops teams. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because they are angels because I can't do any of this. <laughs> So one one thing that is all the rage and a buzzword is is personalization. And I call it a buzzword now because personalization isn't done right anymore. I mean, you know, it, it's I shouldn't say anymore, but so personalization done right is sending the right message to the right person at the right time. Cliche thing we say now. Um but like, that's what it is. But now what personalization has become is, oh, I see you are in New York. I was thinking about visiting Times Square. How do you like it? Anyway, do you have time? So how do you how do you approach personalization in your in your content marketing strategy? Such a bizarre transition, is it? it like, <laughs> hey, I'm being so personal. Hey, you want to see my product? <laughs> And I just, just love the like, hey, this is city name. This is something near you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think the thing with personalization that makes it so hard is that our pitfalls marketers, we always want to do things big. We always want the biggest reach, the biggest impact, the biggest numbers. But sometimes you have to realize like the smallest finite things are what's going to give you actually the highest ROI, right? Like you can get a thousand people to sign up for an event, but if only 20 people attend, like it's not really that good. Um, so I, I think the first thing is to get comfortable with the uncomfortableness of like, if you want to personalize right, it has to be on a very small scale. And there are things you can do with like AI and with like certain tools and um, website features and stuff like that, where you can like read, the, well, I don't know if the end of cookies, a lot of this might like be at jeopardy, but anyways, that's a whole nother conversation we won't get into. Mm -hmm. It's but okay. We're not Europe. We don't have GDPR yet. <laughs> California has their stuff, but yeah, yeah. America. 
<laughs> um, anyways, oh man. Okay. Um, but you know, there are things you can do at scale that are like nice personalization, but it's like surface level. Like you were saying, like the generic, like, Hey, I know you're in this industry or like, Oh, I think you're this role. But when it comes to the things that truly matter, like, and this is more of like a sales example, but this has stuck with, this happened to me like five years ago, y'all. Like, this is how much this stuck with me. But there was either um, an SDR, BDR who was doing cold outreach to me, like absolutely cold outreach to me. I don't even remember what the product or industry, whatever it was, but their personalization was that they, and so often people just don't even like research people when they reach out to people. Like, or they use like really weird data sources. And I'm like, none of this is true. Like, I don't know what you're looking at. But this um, salesperson reached out to me and asked me, hey, like, have you ever swam in the fountain at Mizzou? It sounds like such a cool tradition. And I would love to know if you did it and like how that went. And it was like, oh my gosh, they like really did some like digging. Not only did they know I went to Mizzou, but they like did some digging about Mizzou to find a correlating point to like start a conversation. And yes, I have swam in that fountain and it's a great story. And so I think we just have to realize like you have to let go of like how can I do this across thousands or, you know, whatever the giant ass number is. Yeah. And no, like no, like you need to figure out who's the most valuable people you need to be communicating to and take the time to make those communications valuable. Mm -hmm. Scalability is so important with so many tactics and so many things. And like it, it is the key to growth because you need to scale what works. But that doesn't mean every element of your strategy is automated or unscalable or scalable. It, that's that's the difference there 100 and it's hard to let that go because like we want to scale everything we want to grow everything you know that's that's our jobs but again it's just figuring out who's the most valuable people and, and that sounds kind of icky i guess but you know what i mean we're marketers you know what i'm trying well, to say icp yeah you our know. decision makers or buying committees or users or champions yeah and and aligning that with intent data as you have access to and being able to make the time to really make that and like like you when we jumped on this call you're like oh my gosh your dog photos like mm -hmm. if you do enough base level research it doesn't get creepy like there's a line there's a line of like creepiness where things get weird but like just do enough that shows that like you're invested in this person and that can just like change the atmosphere completely and then make your transition less weird. Like, hey, so yeah. you have dogs. Do you want to look at this email marketing tool? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, so it's a lot like doing a podcast or, or doing a live event where it's like I, I do my research on, on people. I, I like, hey, don't worry about it. There's no prep calls. I'm researching you. I stalk, I stalk everybody, but like I try not to do it in a creepy way where it's like, so I saw on October 4th. So donuts and demand. Let us talk about that. So one, I am curious. Actually, I'll, I'll let you explain it uh, and then get into my question. Yeah. So donuts and demand is Goldcast's newest recurring monthly live event series. We launched it in September. We had uh, Chris Walker from Refine Labs. We had LaShonda Jackson from Intuit Mailchimp on for that first episode. And really the purpose of this is to get demand generation marketers live on air to allow immediate access to them. Um, we do some really fun, obviously, donut-themed segments that talk all about everything a demand generation marketer might be worried about. So marketing attribution, creativity, campaign testing, the whole gamut, and then open the floor to Q&A to have those live, authentic, interactive moments. Um, and for us, it was really a, a realization, a moment of, you know, we started out very event marketing-based. Like that was our bread and butter. That was our ICP. But obviously, as the market has changed, the world has changed, our product has changed. We've kind of realized like, oh, not only are we really selling to event marketers, but we're also now selling into demand generation marketers because we're leaning more into recurring live event series, webinar series, live weekly demos, things like that, that are really in the demand gen space. And so we realized like, I mean, we're experts at this point in recurring live series. We ran CMO Diaries for like two years. We've run Event Marketers Live, I think, more than a year now. And so it was just like this light bulb moment of we have this new audience. Like, what's the best way to serve them? Of course, it's a live event series. So it's, yeah. it's been and, fun. <laughs> and more and you mentioned like kind of shifting or including the demand gen because uh, more and more demand gen managers, directors, leaders 
are now in charge of the events, or at least involved in some capacity. And it, it definitely varies on who your ICP is, but many orgs, or I should say many many smaller marketing teams don't have a, a field marketing person or an events person because they do maybe a few events a year, and that's the demand gen component. So, so many demand gen people are now doing events some mm-hmm. for the first time. Yeah, so it's been a great natural and organic expansion for us. Um, and of course, too, like it, it opens a whole new level of conversation and topics we can now cover beyond the scope of events, because we're never going to not talk about events. We're a B2B events platform that can right. do, but you know, there's lots of other things that trickle into this now that we're going into more video first, repurposing, content strategy, all those kind of things. And so I, I love it too, because it's, it's demand gen for demand gen like this is a is a demand gen tactic for you and so if you're open to, to talking about it was the process like hey we are looking for a, a new demand gen initiative or we were looking to increase seo and get you know more pages and web traffic how did you you come up with the the, the donuts and demand gen yeah, so we I came on like I said in June and really the first big conversation we had was hey, we're trying to tap into this new ICP, this new role within our industry or I guess not industry, I mean I don't know, some people might think marketing is interesting, I don't know. But um this new <laughs> role and so how do we want to best approach this? And it was just kind of an easy answer of like a live event series, you know, like we're Goldcast, like that's what we do, that's who we are and Again, too, it's a great way to like have your product front. And a lot of people don't have this luxury. So this is a very niche statement right now. But for us, it's a great moment to be able to essentially like demo our product, but in a really fun, interactive, engaging way that's not like, oh, they're trying to sell me gold cast. Like, no, like it's just that's where we're having this event. And it just makes sense that we're using our own product, you know, drinking our own mm-hmm. champagne per se. Um, But it really started out that we were realizing kind of what you said, more and more demand gen leaders and demand gen marketers are either running events or it's part of their go-to-market strategy for next year, or they're overseeing the events arm at their org if they're like a larger org. And we just realized like, man, we have this huge gap in like who we're approaching in our audience and like we need to get in front of them and and what's the best way to get in front of them produce lots and lots of content well what's the easiest way to do that well for us it's a live event series so Mm -hmm. here we are we've had what three episodes we have our next one in december i want to say it's december 13th uh we're gonna have brandon on from growth sprints we'll have joyce on from docusign um so really great marketers with extensive SaaS background and gonna dig into all the things about 2024 planning why you shouldn't do checkbox marketing as brandon would say so it's gonna be fun oh i say checkbox marketing too a lot like oh yeah cool we did an event let's check it off why do we do it oh cool we did a newsletter Check it off. Why do we do the newsletter? I, I love that. Brandon and I would get along. You should come. <laughs> join. Talk to him. Chat I will, with him. I'm gonna, my listeners should join. I will, I will join. So you mentioned this before, the, the nurturing, the post-event follow-up, email marketing. Like That is so crucial to, again, driving the ROI from the event, uh, moving things along. So many, so many companies, organizations, it's like every, every post event thinks the same thing. You send out an email saying, thank you for attending, blah, 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 or saying, oh, sorry, we missed you. You didn't come. And then maybe there's a few more other emails and they kind of just die. What's, what's your approach to actually leveraging, nurturing and sequencing and all that stuff to uh, convert people? Yeah, I would say overall email is definitely a channel we can grow in. Um, we're definitely not, you know, probably leading the pack in the email side of things. Well, oh, that's actually a good, um, not to interrupt, but that's a good, so nurturing doesn't just mean email. That, that's my fault for, ooh, for ooh, sorry ooh. to interrupt, but I. Good call out. No, that's a good yeah. call out. Um, but yeah, I will say email is probably not our strongest channel. I mean, it's interesting because it's our strongest converting channel, but it's probably not our strongest channel as far as the plethora of opportunities and options we have. And that's one thing that we will definitely be focusing on in 2024 is revving that engine more. But to me, it is being like, don't 
that you have to think about your post event things while you're planning your event. So Uh what I like to do is I like to put very strategic placement points in my live event that give me an excuse to like email someone. Um, So for instance, in our series masterclass, we just finished class two of a four part series all about creating, launching and maintaining an ongoing event series. I did a poll that said um, the the class two was all about um, ideation, picking your idea, launching, um, all that good stuff. And so I made a poll. It was like, hey, do you want a free run of show template? Yes, no. Uh, and so for those people who said yes, I now had an opportunity of like, hey, Susie Q, I saw you answered yes in my poll about this template. It's attached. Also, here's a blog post you can explore that gives a lot more tips and tricks about doing this action. Um, So I think for me, it's thinking about what actions can I present or opportunities that people can take action on in my live event that give me a friendly excuse to contact them. And then, like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to just be email. One other thing I like to do is anyone who is active in the chat, um, and I haven't done this until now just because capacity, but um, now when anyone is really active in the chat or they're just a very engaged participant, I'll connect with them on LinkedIn following the event, send them a brief message saying, hey, I saw you joined our series masterclass. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any feedback, let me know. If there's any content I can produce for you in the next year, like we're in planning sequences, what would you like to see? Um, So there's, like you said, it doesn't just have to be the email follow-up. Be strategic, be smart. Don't be creepy. (laughs) Yeah. I I love... I love that because what you're doing is essentially it's it's kind of like the the opt in, but it's it's live opt in. So you're you're literally saying to people like, "Are you do you want to get communication?" It's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious there. So I love the the opt in because that's that's what everyone wants as a marketer. But two, it's it's using the tactic of asking for permission, the the right way. So asking for permission used to mean like, hey, I'm sending you this email rather than just sending you my pitch deck. I'm like, hey, would you be interested in seeing my pitch deck because it solves X, Y, Z? Like that doesn't really work. And it kind of it's kind of cringy when you get an email. It's like, hey, can I send you an email? I'm like, you just did. But so that I love that so much that I'm going to steal that. People should steal that. I love using the little touch points to then inspire the later communication. I guess no one needs another like email in your inbox that's unrelated to anything. Like, if, do you want to hear an atrocious story? <laughs> yes, I love atrocious stories. <laughs> okay, let's do it. So there's a credit union that I used to be a member of at a previous place I lived at. And I'm still like on their email list and stuff and whatever. And I don't mind that. Um, you know, I'm really into like financial literacy and stuff. And they do a lot of promotions around that. But recently, I started getting really random, weird emails from like, the I don't I don't even know they're like a U.S. Army uh, reserves nonprofit or like something very not who I am not who any of my family is like I've never once interacted with anything that's U.S. Army based and like I mean no no puff to them like obviously we need an army but it's just not my jam and I've never done anything relating to the U.S. Army and I just started getting not only emails but insensitive like every week emails from this org and I was like what is and I had a moment where I was like is someone stealing my identity like what is happening <laughs> right now because there's no reason my email should be on this freaking list your email is, was sold and bought like, like what's happening well I finally figured out what happened about like two or three weeks after this sequence started which what marketer was like this makes a lot of sense Two or three weeks after the sequence started, I got an email from my credit union that was like, we've started a partnership with U.S. Army, whatever it is, ah. and you've been added to their thing, and you've probably been getting their messaging. And I was like, who in the absolute hell was <laughs> like, this is a great idea. Like, we're going to see it wasn't such a marketer. success. <laughs> it wasn't a marketer. Guarantee you, like, it was either a marketer who was forced <laughs> to do it or I don't know. <laughs> I was just so like, like th- this is awful. So here's our tactic. We are going to send spam to people, not tell them about it, and then tell them we've been spamming them. <laughs> it's like so, uh. so awful. So awful. And I get it. You know, sometimes you do desperate desperate measures in desperate times, but like it was like so bad. It was so bad. Well, this is the perfect segue because it's time for Spill the Tea with Lee. This is the segment where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and it's going to get juicy. 
So love that we already got into the atrocities. Um, so we were talking about donuts and Zamanjin. I I have a donut question for you because I found this to be a pretty controversial, polarizing question. Ooh, let's go. Do you like jelly donuts? Oh, that is kind of like a okay. You know what? I'm not team jelly. Um, I'm team cream though. So does that like sort of count? It's like jelly no, sister. It doesn't count. It's 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 different. Like a Boston cream donut's very different from like this is actually so this is a debate. Like so I, I love jelly donuts. Um I also do love cream donuts. Um, but like this is a debate. Like I, I realize my, my boyfriend like hates jelly donuts. He he's like it's it's too like uh, whatever people don't like it's too sugary it's too wet I don't know it's I'm like not this... the sugary part so anybody right. eat donuts is never gonna be like it's well, too that's, sugary that's what I'm like well like the cream's sugar sugary too so I don't know it's the mouthfeel I, I don't know but I I'm just I'm the type of person where like there's not enough jelly in my jelly donut so then I did a poll in my in one of my last companies on Slack and it was it was so polarizing the the jelly donut question. Food questions will get people like hot. Like I yes. am in like a, a Slack channel um, with friends and nothing gets people more riled up than like the food polls or like the strong food opinions. Like, oh my gosh. But I will say um, I am probably even more of a weirdo because I like jelly on its own and I like peanut butter on its own, but peanut butter and jelly together like makes me literally like my stomach wow, flip. It makes me like feel sick. So I don't know if that also impacts my reaction to like jelly donuts. It's just too close to that realm. I think, I think you have some childhood <laughs> trauma related to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Either someone made you one and and hurt like broke your heart or stole it or somebody did I don't know there there's some trauma I here. I out because I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where it comes from. My dad made me lots of peanut butter sandwiches when I was okay. little. So I don't okay. know. Maybe it started with PB and J and I just blacked out from. What there. other component did you eat jelly with? Like crackers or or like? Um, I guess the most way I would eat jelly is like because my husband's southern, so this is a very okay. southern thing. But you know, you take the slab of. Um, cream cheese, and then you put the jelly on top, and then you dip the yes. crackers in. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, um, like literally, my mom, like, so I would have the PB and J, but my mom would make like cream cheese and jelly sandwiches, or like she would oh. like when I was a little kid, like she'd make the little like like swirl kind of things. Yeah, I forgot about that, but yeah, I used to eat those. Oh, cream cheese and jelly sandwich. That sounds actually really good. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay, so real question, but and that's a polarizing question. I am curious if you will spill the tea on a behind-the-scenes moment or just some really memorable moment from a, a live event that you've witnessed or been a part of. It could be chaotic. It could be really funny. Whatever you think of. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to fib out who this was, but my first major live event I ran with Goldcast was our AI Summit. Uh, it was a five-session, half-day live summit 12 speakers. Um, I think we had like three or four moderators across the events. And one of my speakers never did their tech check. Y'all always do your tech check for, for every, like, just please, just please, just please. Like, I never knew how stressful event marketing was until I became event marketer. I was like, oh, now yes. I know what my event friends talk about. Like, geez, Louise. But like, just please do your tech checks. Like, because otherwise what's going to happen is especially if you're using like most event platforms or digital streaming platforms, no matter what yeah. form or facet, they have like recommended things you should use, you know, like you recommend this, this um, browser or this, you know, operating system or whatever. I'm surprised marketers are having the problem with this. You know, me too, man, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it was just like salt in the wound of not only did we have someone not do a tech check, but they were also using tech that was outside the usual scope of like what you should run this platform on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, chaos ensued and how to troubleshoot and, you know, people going live that were like not supposed to be live. But apparently people didn't even notice the difference. So we yes. covered well. But it's like, just just do your tech checks. Just do your tech checks. Yes. Well, I mean, that, that's it. It always seems like it's a disaster, but like nobody else notices. Um, and I feel like that was also a good because then you build it into your process. But do you know who the worst people are with, with technology when it comes to live events? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> Doctors. <I'm... laughs> um, Doctors I... are like, so here, here's what I think. They are just 
so smart and good at that one specific field of medicine they're in that all of their brain cells like disappear when it comes to plugging in a computer or, or logging on to a live event. Well, it's also because they use the most archaic like video conferencing tool of all time. <laughs> Not going to name it on air, but we all know what it is. And if you know a doctor, it's funny you say this. My husband's a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I am an event marketer married to a doctor. It's it's fun conversations when he asks me about work. Don't Don't you believe it? <laughs> I've also, and not that I've run it, but I've seen it. Our Congress people seem to have the biggest trouble. First of all, we have we have like streamers with mics, and our, our, our rich ass Congress people using like dinosaur computers with their with their camera pointed to their forehead. Uh, then like that's why that's why people don't watch these. I mean, that's one of the reasons, but that's why people don't watch these hearings. I'm like, you are a United States senator or House of Representative. You should be able to point your camera at your face while you're talking. You know, doctors struggle the same way too. Trust me, I've seen it all. <laughs> it's wild, especially in the pandemic when my husband was home all the time and all his calls. I was like, what is happening? You're staring at like ears and chests, and <laughs> it's just so weird, weird world out there. Yeah, it's it's crazy though, because like it, we've been doing this for a long time now. What is happening? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like, but like to me, then I'll also like wait to the last minute to join a Zoom call, and I'm like, oh shit, like Zoom's updating now. Uh, so it's worse. to me, I don't think that's I don't think that's a user error because I think literally every person does that. I think that's a software error on on Zoom part. I, I should be like, no, I'm like, do this later. It'll still work, right? Like, <laughs> it's like when my so streaming Zoom's app listening. is like, there's a new version of your streamer. They're like, no, launch. <laughs> Get yeah. out of here. I've been so I use so I use a um an office like Windows computer. Usually in my like personal, I like I like to have Mac and OS for work, Windows for personal. Um, I haven't updated to to Windows 11. I refuse to. I'm on, I'm on Windows 10 still, and I, I'm 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 just gonna keep skipping it. I find that super fascinating that you use a Mac for work, but a Windows for like home. That's super like, so, most yeah, people are so, not built that way, Lee. Right. And so it's a really interesting thing about me. So the reason I do that too is so like, I, I kind of grew up always using Windows. Like I, I still, I don't, I don't get iPhones. I'm, I'm an Android person. Um, oh. Yeah, I know. Oh. I know. I still it, love you. It's fine. <laughs> it, it's a good thing I already have my boyfriend because like so many people wouldn't date me if I... If I when they get the the color text message, but no, we actually both have Android, so that was a big thing. You found your but, perfect match. <laughs> yes. So, but like I always use like like Windows stuff, kind of growing up. Um, I mean, we're nineties eventually... kids, right? Like that's what right, we did. right, right. <laughs> um, but then I started using you know the Mac for you know work for marketing because it, it's you know it, it's it's great for designing. It's also just you know it's good for work and stuff like that. But I kept doing the separate thing especially when you work from home because it's like i'm somebody who'll be like goodbye work computer and then just open my other computer like hello home computer um so it's kind of like a little transition for me of like okay i am done working like yes i'm gonna maybe relax on the internet but it's a different operating system so it's a weird thing that i I do that makes sense though like i totally understand Mm -hmm. that so so like if you work from home and like you struggle to like get out of work mode or, or stuff like that like some people go for a walk some people do all this stuff i i enjoy using a different operating system <laughs> is this an ad for windows is this their new marketing no, campaign this, it, honestly if microsoft wants to sponsor this they're, they're welcome to um <laughs> but but no because again I, i'm literally doing this on on a macbook pro so uh this wouldn't be a great ad for, for microsoft <laughs> uh <laughs> So one thing I still want to get with as we're, we're spilling the tea for the next few minutes is AI and content marketing in general, because actually, no, I'm not going to be in general. There is there is a use of AI in content marketing. There is thoughts on it and there's a right way to do it. Um, people have very strong th- thoughts here. When I say AI and content, what, what what's the first thing that comes up for you? <laughs> Use it for your shitty first draft. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. That's that's yes. my stance. Um, I I have a pitch deck actually in a presentation. I do kind of talking about how to appropriately use AI and content. And 
that really when it boils down to it, like that is my stance. Like you use it for a shitty first draft and then you use your humanity and your perspective and your brand and all the other things that make you like a living, breathing human and like a relatable living, breathing human to then breathe life into that piece. Because I mean, I even posted about on LinkedIn today. I was like, is the new stick burned to marketers? Like this sounds like it was written by AI. I may, because I I told you I I stalk and research. So I I may have saw that and that might've inspired my question. (laughs) Yeah. So I would say it's a great, like uh, when Noah was on our AI summit, he was talking about how like, it's a great like sidekick or buddy or like, you know, a a starter pack, but like you would never just rely on it like you would an employee. So shitty first drafted up with AI, y'all use it all day, every day for that. But you always need your finesse on it. Um, And I will say too, it's great for outlines and for content briefs and things like that. But as far as like actually producing pieces, like yeah, yeah like I, magic. I, I love it for outlining um i love it for for seo like hey my target keyword is this um now i've done my other research i'm like hey i want this featured snippet i want to include this section i love it for outlining it uh not for writing and like to your point so like it, it, it it's so obvious when something is written by ai like it's all the same it's all the same thing. It's like two emojis maybe started off or like leveraging. If le- leveraging or unlocking is is in it or starts the sentence, like I feel like it's, it's AI might be involved sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I will say I do love we are a Notion team here as far as like our internal mm-hmm. wiki. And I do really enjoy the Notion um, AI tool. It's great for like brainstorming moments and like when I'm starting campaigns and just need to get the juices flowing. But Again, have I ever used a straight-ass title out of Notion's AI? Probably not. <laughs> and that's not a knock to Notion. Love Notion. Well, actually, right. I don't really love Notion. I am i don't know. I'm a Google Docs girl, y'all. So. Yeah, I mean, to me, Google Docs is my ultimate way for, for me. Like, Notion, like, the team and stuff like that. But at the end, of the, I, I still always want to kind of just have my scrappy, ugly organization for myself in addition to, like, the formal my team seeing this on notion yeah. or sauna or whatever yeah. well Lindsay, this has been so much fun i love nerding into to content marketing events before i go i always like to give everybody the chance to to call out anything they want where people can follow you we should mention that event again and where people can sign up and yeah any anything else yeah so Lindsay mcguire feel free if you want to joke message me and say hey lizzie mcguire won't take offense uh but i'm most active she's on- heard all the jokes before I, people I like like if uh, you're not unique she's heard Come it up before. With something creative like there has to be other lizzie jokes i haven't heard yet but um yeah connect with me on linkedin very active over there platform of choice as far as kind of events upcoming that would relate to this audience donuts and demand is the second tuesday of every month although in january it will be the third tuesday because it's january there's a dead week we're going to make use of time efficiently. So next episode is December 13th. And then the one in January is like January 16th, I think. Um, so we have um, Speckit and Pure Storage coming on to the January show. And then, like nice. I said, we have Growth um, Sprints and DocuSign in the December show. And then if you are interested in running an ongoing series in 2024... We are in the middle of our series masterclass that is a deep dive weekly into how to create, launch, and maintain an ongoing series. Our next one is December 6th. Our final episode is December 13th, and that's going to be a party, y'all. I have Logan from Yex, I have Travis from PandaDoc, and I have Belinda from Goldcast. We're all going to talk about... Uh, yeah, it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. So mm-hmm. um, talking about how to keep a series alive, how to keep momentum, how to grow your audience, how to repurpose and use your content. So it's gonna be a great time. But it's been great talking with you, Lee. Had so much fun. Thank you again for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. Again, such a great combo. Listeners, I want you to ask the people in your life what their opinions are on jelly donuts. You might you might learn some things about people. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you for another episode of Lee to be next time. Enjoying Lee to Be? Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your reviews go a long way in supporting me. Thank you so much.